about, it was a wonderful message, first hour from Second Peter. This is Dr. Brian Farrell, and he's a friend of mine, um, and I met him through um, the doctoral work I did at the Master's Seminary. We were in the same cohort together, which was comprised of about 12 of us around a table, so we dialogued and interacted about preaching and about ministry and mission for three years together, and so we sort of bonded through that we were both sort of going bleary-eyed, okay, when was that again? You know, it was 2008 that we graduated. Before that, Brian um, finished his Master's of Divinity at Liberty University, which is also a connection with me, and uh, he went to Marshall University in West Virginia for his undergraduate in business. He is uh, also kindred uh, with the Kratz uh, kingdom in that he has twins in his tribe, and so he and his sweet wife Tracy um, have been obeying the command to be fruitful and multiply and you know they've done that they have a, a family of four with one on the way and so they are um, very kindred in that regard and Brian um, is kindred to Alaska and hunting in that the real reason he's up here in Alaska is to be a part of a pretty significant hunt on the Kenai and he is a bow hunter and a person in his church is the originator and CEO of QAD. So for you bow hunters, you know what that means. Quality archery design, which has something to do with the release of the arrow and et cetera, et cetera. But um, he was invited to be a part of this hunt on the Kenai and it's actually gonna be a documentary on um, the outdoor channel. I kind of flash through that sometimes. So he's gonna be a part of that, you know, hunting black bear in the woods. And so we're real glad to have you come and preach to us. Come preach to us, Brian. He's been a pastor at Timberlake Baptist six years. Let's give him a warm welcome. It wouldn't make me look as bad. Yeah, there we go. Well, it wasn't your fault. Bummer. Um, yeah, we're, as soon as, uh, soon as service is over, I'm getting on a, uh, a plane, and um, there's a gentleman in our, in our church that does this every year, and uh, he's a wonderful believer, and he brings people in from uh, the bow hunting industry. A number of them uh, don't know Christ, and uh, he pays their way to go, and uh, you don't hunt until the afternoon, and so I get to preach to them for three or four hours, and then they go take a stick and a string out in the woods and put their lives in the hands of black bear and think about it for three or four hours. So it, it works out really, really good. Uh, talk about a, a, you know, a time to, to consider what was, uh, what was said. Uh, it's a joy to be with you. I love your pastor. You are a blessed uh, congregation. He is uh, such a godly and, and wise man, dear friend uh, of, of mine. And um, just, uh, just, just thank you for the privilege to be able to, uh, to be here. And on behalf of Timberlake Baptist Church that uh, has loaned me out, uh, greetings from, from them uh, as well. And I was praying about what to preach uh, this morning. My mind went back to a 25th celebration that we just did a few weeks ago for, uh, for one of our pastors. He's been 25 years in ministry at Timberlake Baptist Church. 
And with the way that tenures go nowadays, uh, I think the average, depending upon where you're from denominationally, is anywhere from 18 months to three years for a pastor tenure, whether it's they desire to uh, hop around or whether it's churches get tired of their preaching, I don't know, but that's the average. So when it, we have somebody that's been in ministry for a long time, we preach that success is faithfulness and that longevity in ministry is a significant thing. And so we wanted to highlight that. And after we, we got done roasting him and, and giving him some gifts and his wife had an opportunity to preach. And I preached a message about finishing well. And I, I shared in the, in, the first, uh, in the first hour that uh, there was probably a point in my life where I knew that there was passages in Scripture about finishing well and how that it was important to, uh, to do that, but I'm not sure that I recognize the significance um, of, the, of that exhortation. Um, it's, it's, it's quite possible that the, the longer that you're a believer, at least is this my experience, the, the longer that I'm a believer, the easier uh, it is to, to face challenges that I really didn't think that I would, would face. I came to Christ when I was 24. It was a very Pauline conversion. I was in the business world, so I kind of went from corporate executive to, uh, to Christ and was just filled with, filled with joy and the forgiveness of sins. And, and I would hear people talk about um, you know, not wanting to read their Bible or maybe you know, uh, not wanting to come to church. Uh, or only come to church at certain times, or or maybe just wanting to walk away completely. And and honestly, I was you know outwardly uh, said the right things and was compassionate, but but in my mind, in my heart, I thought I just can't I just can't comprehend that. You know, I, I love Christ. I I want to read the Bible. I want to be here whenever the word is is preached. And that zeal was there, and it was it was motivating was motivating me. But it didn't take long with a few years that, that I realized that it, it is quite possible um, to face challenges in your, in your Christian life. And one of the challenges is to continue to grow or to continue to pursue with all of your heart. It is possible for a believer to get used to being saved. You know what I mean by that? It's possible for a believer to forget how profound the cross is. It's possible for a believer to, to listen to a lot of sermons, to read the Bible, to work a lot of theological angles, and then almost get into neutral in coast mode without even, without even recognizing it. And these are saved people. These are believers. I think there's a danger that whenever that sets in, that you kind of conclude this must be it. Um, and then you just kind of move along until Christ returns. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're here, and if you would give an honest evaluation of your heart, you would say, I, you know, I love God, I know I'm a believer, but, but if I would go back and look at a span of my life over the past year, the past two years, I really wouldn't see a lot of growth. We wouldn't see a lot of fruit. Maybe that's not you. Maybe you're a new believer. Maybe you're somebody who... Is, is passionate about, uh, about growing, but you just don't know what the next step is or, or what to do. Regardless of where you're at, Second uh, Peter is going to give us uh, an exhortation this morning. And the passage that we're going to look at is, is probably very familiar. 
And it talks about the security of a believer's faith. And then it gives a command. Peter gives a command after he lays this foundation of your faith, my faith. And then he shows us after that command how we're to grow forward in our faith. In this first chapter of 2 Peter, if you want to turn there, you can, you can go ahead. He gives this foundation of grace that the Christian life is built upon and then exhorts us to, to grow forward. Now, all of you know that salvation is by faith alone. It's not by, uh, you're not saved by grace and then you finish the race by works. It's not based upon your exertion or your effort. It is, it is faith alone and grace alone and Christ alone. And you know all of those, all of the solas that are there. The Bible also teaches us that the kind of faith that saves has evidence. It's, it, is, it has fruit. You may not be able to see the wind whenever you look outside, but you can see the effects of the wind. Whenever a person is saved, whenever they're regenerated, born again, born from above, whatever term that you want to use, and the Bible uses all of those terms... Fireworks don't go off, the lights don't dim, pixie dust doesn't fall from the sky. You can't see the, the supernatural work of regeneration. You can't see the heart with the, with the natural eye be changed. That's why we call it a profession of faith. And then we watch to see whether that profession of faith turns into to fruit. You can't see regeneration happen, but what you can see is the effects of regeneration. You can see the fruit that comes from it. And Peter here is going to exhort us that while we need to understand what regeneration is based upon, our faith is based upon, that after that, fruit comes. And if there's fruit in our life, there will be an assurance of our salvation and we will have an abundant entrance into, into the kingdom. We're not saved to sit and coast, but we're to grow somewhere, if you would want to put it that way. And we're commanded, in fact, to add certain qualities to our faith that allow us to live spiritually productive lives. I said this morning, I can honestly think of nothing worse than wasting my life. Um... I've never been at a, the bedside of someone dying and they ask to see their stock portfolio one more time before they slip off into eternity. I've never been in a hospital praying with a family that has a teenager in surgery waiting to determine whether they're gonna, whenever they're going to make it out or not. I've never seen them ask, a, uh, saw them ask a family member to bring in... Um, their soccer trophies to take a look at them one more time. I mean, when you really come down to matters of life and death and when you really get a proper view of eternity, the way that you view life changes in a significant, significant way. And I think the worst fear that I would have as an individual, knowing about eternity, knowing that I'm going to stand before Christ, is to show up there without fruit, empty-handed. One of, the, one of the, the most horrible things about hell, besides 
all of the things that the scripture teaches about it is that there's a sense of hopelessness and you live for all eternity with this sense of regret that there's no way to change the condition that you're in even though you may have sat in a church a number of times and the gospel was you know was was preached fruitless life should be one of our greatest fears not just because we're afraid of hell but because we're going to stand before our master one day and we want to present to him a worthy offering of our lives and as believers we've been granted everything that we need to grow it's absolutely nothing else that you need there's nothing else that god needs to supply to you in order for you to grow forward or take the steps that peter is going to give us in his, his word this morning. You've been given the ability. You've been given the opportunity. You're alive here this morning. You're breathing. And when ability meets opportunity, then effort is required. And that's what Peter is, is going to say. So let's read 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to read through verse 11, and then we'll, we'll get into the text. It says, Simon Peter, the servant and apostle of of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ grace may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord here's the beginning of the text that we're going to look at his divine power is granted unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become a partaker of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, in virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, in self-control with steadfastness, and with steadfastness, godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, just a help you see how this passage lays out the proposition this morning is two components growing forward in your faith or two components that Peter gives here to growing forward how do you grow what is expected of us as believers or two components that Peter gives here about growing forward Peter talks about the initiation of your faith he talks about what your faith is, is to be doing, what it looks like. And then he takes us all the way to the end, the entrance into the eternal kingdom in verse 11. And it's broken down in, in two sections. Verses 3 through 5 
I'm sorry, verses 3 through 4. Verse 3 and 4 is our faith sufficiency. It's a foundation. What is the basis of your faith? Your faith sufficiency. And then in verse 5, he gives the command for this very reason. Here's the command. Make every effort to supplement. There's your faith enterprise. Peter lays this foundation and then he says build on this foundation these certain qualities that we'll look at. Basically, Peter is talking about a spiritually productive life. That's what we long for. That's what Peter begins with. And he shows this great foundation our salvation is built upon. Let's look at our faith sufficiency. It's found in verse 3. It says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Peter begins here, before he ever commands us to do anything, talking about the gospel and talking about the effect that it's had on you, what God has supplied you. And he says, as far as your faith is concerned, God's divine power has furnished it. There's sufficient provision that God has made for your faith, and it lacks nothing. He says, His divine power. That His refers to Jesus Christ in verse 2. So it's the power of Jesus Christ. It's His divine power. Your faith is not based upon your ability, your will, your pull myself up by the bootstraps, muster, whatever is down inside of me to be able to grow or to, to believe or whatever it is. His divine power, Peter says, has granted unto us all things. His divine power has furnished it. It's furnished our faith with the ability to exercise itself, to grow and to remain. What that tells us is our faith draws from an unlimited supply. Would, would, you, be, um, would you be comfortable if this verse says that the, the reservoir that you draw from for your faith was based upon your power? Would you be satisfied with that? I'd be scared to get out of bed in the morning, much less try to apply the scriptures. But that's not what it says. It says your faith has a divine power source, and that is the power of, of Jesus Christ. You know and I know that, that in, in us dwells no good thing, and unless, God's, unless God empowers us, it won't be done. But I wonder how many of you realize that everything you need and more has already been given. I mean, we kind of get this thing that, you know, salvation is by grace through faith. I know it was all Jesus. I know it was all his power. He did it on the cross, so on and so forth. But do we really, we know that theologically, but do we, do we live that way practically? Or do we kind of come at the angle that 75%, you know, is God and he wants me to kick something in in order to be faithful? He says his divine power has supplied it. I think there's a lot of times we come to God and ask Him for things that He says He's already given. Um, we pray, Lord, help me to understand the Bible. And the Bible says we already have the mind of Christ. We're no longer a natural man. We're a spiritual man or woman, meaning that we can understand the Scriptures because of the power of the Spirit. We say, Lord, help me to witness. And, and your life is, a, is a transformed, has been transformed by is a, is a witness of His grace. Lord, help me to overcome temptation. We pray for specific things. And if we mean by that uh, we're submitting our hearts and, 
and we're humbling ourselves and we're acknowledging that the power has to come from God, then, then pray on. But if what we mean is, God, give me the power to do those things, Peter says he's already supplied it. He's already given it to us. And realizing that gives you confidence. And believing that you don't have that will cause you to lead you to live a fearful life. And it will steal your assurance. One of the best illustrations that, that I could give to, to describe what I mean by that is, have you ever been to the grocery store and you've got your buggy full of, of stuff and you're almost up to, the, up to where the checkout is and you reach for your wallet or you, you look in the little place where, the, where you're, you're supposed to put your child and you realize that your wallet's not in your back pocket or you left your purse you know, at home and immediately you begin to think, you know, okay, what am I going to do? And you maybe reach in your pocket and you find, you know, some money, $20, $100, whatever it might be. And, and you, you begin to look at the buggy and you begin to think, okay, how much is in there? And you guess, well, I, I think I can make it. I think I've got about enough to cover it. And then you go up to the, uh, to the checkout and you watch, you know, as, as they're racking up and it gets, you know, 85, 90, 92, and the closer it gets to 100 and the more you've got left in the buggy, you begin to get apprehensive and anxiety. But uh, reverse that. Whenever you have the, the resources and the means to pay for it, you've got the money in your pocket and you've also got the credit card for backup. You don't worry about what's in the buggy. I mean, maybe you do from a budget standpoint, but you're not fearful. You're not going to have the resources in order to purchase what's there. Peter wants to establish right out of the gate, you already have the resources that you need to do what he's getting ready to command you to do. It's the same in the Christian life. Worrying we lack something causes us to be reserved and timid. Knowing that you have enough frees you to walk forward in confidence. God is not commanding you to do something here that he is not supplied by his divine power, the ability to carry out. There's nothing that you will face in your Christian life that is greater than the power that you have to overcome it. You just need to walk in that power. He says, His divine power has furnished your faith. He's talking about your faith sufficiency. He's going to lay this foundation. His divine power has furnished it. His complete provision has supplied it. Look at verse 3 again. His divine power has granted to us some things that pertain to life and godliness. Is that what it says? All things that pertain to life and godliness. And he gives both sides of the coin here. His complete provision has supplied your faith. Everything that it needs draws from a divine reservoir. It's completely furnished. Everything that we need. In the, in the original language, Peter pulls the all things to the front of the sentence. It puts it in the emphatic position. If you would see that in the original language and, and you could read it, it would be like all things. I mean, it's, it's shouted from the, from the housetops up front. It's like putting it in bold letters. He says all things that pertain to life and godliness has already been granted. Everything that you need for eternity and earth is what life and godliness means. Life means eternal life. His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to eternal life. You already possess eternal life. You're, you're alive spiritually. But the Bible says 
that, I mean, the moment that you came to Christ, you weren't automatically transported to heaven. You live here until the, the days that were written in the book in Psalm 139 are done and you serve Christ and you glorify him and then you go into the presence of, of Christ. The Bible tells us that the one who began a good work in you will continue it, will perform it until the day you stand before Christ. And Peter is just echo, is echoing that. All things that you need to reach heaven, all things that you need to persevere unto the end, all things that you need, it's a work of God in you. He's already supplied it. Eternal life, earth, is the next one. All things that pertain to eternal life and godliness. Um, not only has God granted us everything to sustain our salvation, but also what we need to live a life that proves it. The word godliness just means godly. To live a life that's pleasing to the Lord. Everything that you need to live a godly life has already been provided. The power source is there. God has made every provision necessary for us to live lives that are pleasing to Him. You didn't get a special deal. You didn't get a raw deal. There's nothing that you've got. Uh, you know, Brian, you don't understand my situation. I may not understand your situation, but the sovereign God does, and he's provided all things that you need for life and godliness. And it's not based on my power or yours. It's based on his. And yet, even though that's true, even though all of those things are there, he comes by grace and not through our effort or work. Look at the... Look at the um, end of verse 3. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to eternity and earth, life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. His glorious grace has accomplished it. It's what Peter says next. His divine power furnished it. His complete provision supplied it. And His glorious grace accomplished it. My mother was a, was a high school English teacher and so she read a lot to me whenever I was a kid, and I can remember the you know the nursery rhymes, and I can remember Little Jack Horner. You remember that? Sat in the corner, and he sticks in his thumb, and he pulls out a plum, and what does he say? What a good boy am I? You are not a believer because you are smarter and better than the unsaved person that you may bump into later today. It is by the divine grace of God. If you had your way, if I had my way, I would still be walking in darkness and using God for my get out of hell free card as far as my concept was concerned and calling upon him whenever I got in trouble. My eyes wouldn't be open to the one true and living God and be living for him. You're, you're not, there's no room for pride in the Christian life if you get this next point. As Peter says, it's his glorious grace that accomplished it. And that all of this comes, this divine power and what's been granted for eternal life and, and godliness comes through a knowledge of him who called us. It's not just a superficial or factual knowledge. He's talking about experiential knowledge, to know Christ. Peter's talking about those who have more than a superficial understanding of the cross and the resurrection. He's saying they've experienced it. These are true believers. These aren't just people who give lip service. 
this power, this, this faith, this sufficient faith has come through a knowledge of Christ. And they've experienced it by the preaching of the gospel and the work of the Spirit. Look at the verse again. Through the knowledge of Him, that's the preaching, who called us by His own glory and excellence. That's the work of the Spirit. He starts with this work of the Spirit. He, him that hath called us. It's past tense. It's something that's, that's been applied. This is not the general, you know, you need to get saved. This is the work of the Spirit in our hearts. And Peter's laying this foundation now for strenuous effort. I mean, he's going to command us in a minute to work to the point of exhaustion. But before he ever does that, he wants to establish that it's all by the grace of God. He's laying this foundation and he says, we were brought to Christ by his grace. That was not against our wills, not of our wills, but through the preaching of the gospel and the display of his glory and excellence through knowledge of him. And we were called to his own glory and excellence. It just simply means that we were drawn to Christ by, by an understanding of the gospel. Somebody came to you at some point, whether it was in vacation Bible school or whether it was somebody who knocked on your door or was under a preacher, whatever, and they told you about the glory of Christ in the gospel. They told you about what he accomplished on the cross. Told you about what he did for you. About he, he rose from the dead. He told you all about who he was. He was Christ is put on display in the gospel. And as he is put on display, the Spirit of God, when the, when the gospel is preached, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. The Spirit of God takes the gospel, wields the sword, works in your heart and works in mine, and opens our eyes. He convinces you. Spirit's role is to convict the world, as the old King James used to say, of sin, righteousness, and of judgment. It means to convince. The Spirit is a convincing spirit. And he convinces when you hear the gospel. The glory and excellencies of Christ are put on display. The gospel is preached. And the Spirit of God says to your heart what that man's saying is true. It's absolutely right. You can be forgiven. It is real. There's something that's there as a convincing work that happens. Shows you your condition. Shows you that you can lay hold of this wonderful good news that's being presented to you. And part of that gospel are promises. Look at verse 4. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. He's talking about our sufficient faith. His divine power has furnished our faith. His complete provision has supplied our faith. His glorious grace has accomplished our faith. His precious promises grant it. Look at what he says here. By which he has granted to us precious and very great promises. If I had um, the ability to instruct Peter or the Holy Spirit, that almost sounds blasphemous to say... In my mind, I would say, you know, put an exclamation point here. Uh, put a footnote out to the side and say that's an understatement. That the gospel, the promises of the gospel are precious and great 
is, a, is an understatement. It's a promise that is without equal. Precious emphasizes the unequaled value of the, of the gospel. Peter has a play on words here from, from 1 Peter. Our faith is of equal value, but it's based on unequal promise. You, uh, there was a... Uh, an older gentleman that was in the church that I was I was saved in and as I said I was in business world and just went from a really nasty self-centered wicked uh, man that wanted to climb the corporate ladder and be a CEO by the time they were 30 and was one step away at 23 went from that to somebody that was sitting in church uh, you know, singing hymns, went from listening to, uh, you know, Hank Williams Jr. and Led Zeppelin to singing with a trio and a piano, praising God the whole time. It was a, it was a Pauline conversion. I remember this guy said, man, you know, Brian, you must have got a double dose. There's no such thing as double doses. Whatever you have is what I have. And Peter's putting that on display here. You don't need anymore you got all that all that you you need it's a precious promise and from those precious promises you become a partaker of the divine nature look at verse 4 again by which he has granted to us his precious and great promises so that through them you become partakers of the divine nature the spirit of god Christ is put on display. His glory and excellency is put on display. The Spirit of God works through the gospel. It calls you to himself. Through the gospel, there are promises that are made. You respond to those promises. You believe those promises. You receive those promises. And when that happens, you become a partaker of the divine nature. Same concept of being born again. Aren't you glad that God didn't just put you on a new path, clean you up a little bit, and uh, send you on your way. Aren't you glad he didn't do that? Aren't you glad that he made you a new cre uh, creation, new creature in Christ Jesus? Aren't you glad that old things are passed away, and that all things become new? I am. I would not want any part of my old life. There's nothing that I would want to, uh, to build upon from my old life. Becoming a partaker of the divine nature is, is just a different way of saying being born again. As a result of God's promise, the one who calls upon the name of the Lord becomes God's child and possesses eternal life. You become a new creation with the Spirit of God living in us. And because of that, we escape the corruption that's in the world. We become partakers of the divine nature in verse 4, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful Desire. A.T. Robertson said a man either becomes regenerate or degenerate. And that is true. There's no neutral ground. You're either in Christ and you possess incorruptible nature or you are in the world mired in sin's corruption. Either Christ has absorbed the wrath of God on your behalf or wrath is being stored up until the day you stand before God when it is unleashed on you. That's a horrifying thought, but it's true. And if you're not in Christ, Peter says, then corrupt is your condition. 
you can't say I'll think about it one day and I'll deal with religion one day and I'll sit on the fence until then. There is no fence. Whoever's not, whoever does not believe is condemned already, the Bible says. You don't have to do anything to be condemned. You're that way from birth. But believing, receiving the precious promises of Christ, you become a partaker of the divine nature and you can escape the corruption that is in the world and what is, what is coming. And all of that sufficient provision demands undying effort then to live it out. He gives the second component. Second component to growing forward in faith is confidence. That's confirmed through our faith enterprise. All right, let me summarize for you. He lays this foundation, the foundation of your faith, the basis of your faith, the sufficiency of your faith is all by grace, all by God. And now he's going to command us to build on top of that foundation some specific qualities in our life. Pursue specific qualities. That's the face enterprise. Face sufficiency, face enterprise. But Peter doesn't want to get ahead of himself. Peter says here in verse 5, for this very reason. Look at verse 5. For this very reason. For what very reason? For the very reason that I, all these things I just told you, that God's divine power has furnished your faith, that it's completely, has complete provision, glorious grace accomplished it, there's precious promises there. For this very reason, make every effort, there's the command, to supplement your faith. And then he gives a list. Your faith is referring to all Peter just said. It's the gospel with all of its past, present, and future implications. And for this very reason, you to do this next thing. Peter makes sure that you don't get the cart before the horse. You must realize the foundation of your faith is by God's grace before you labor. It's not by your effort. But believers who understand grace live for Christ with diligent effort. And so he says, applying all diligence. It's a very, very strong idea. Um, make every effort to supplement your faith. It has the idea of the strongest effort and energetic zeal. Um, in the Christian life, Peter says, diligence is required. I gave the example in, in the first hour. Of my kids watched uh, the little TV program whenever they were younger, Little Bear. Everybody know who Little Bear is? There's a, there's a series on there where the frog on Little Bear is, uh, is sitting on the lily pad and he's, uh, he's meditating, you know. I mean, he's, he's kind of sitting on the lily pad and you know, he's home. He's, that's not the Christian life. Growth doesn't come by osmosis. It doesn't come through meditation. It doesn't come through sitting there. In the Christian life, diligence is required. But you've got to get the grace part first. The word that's used here implies a sense of urgency. You may think of it this way, maximum effort with enthusiasm. If you look at your Christian life, you look at your pursuit of growth, would you say that you're enthusiastic about that? To my shame, I would have to say that there is a continual effort in my life to evaluate 
How much effort am I really putting forward? And am I just doing what I need to do out of duty? There's a difference between doing it out of duty and doing it with enthusiasm because of the love for Christ. The idea here is not that I will grow tomorrow or I'll work on my weakness. It's, it's now. And it's, I mean, it's hammered down type of pursuit. It's all our labor. It's a war is the idea. And then he tells them the qualities that they're, pursu- that they're to pursue. Here too, with this, make every effort to supplement your faith, to build on this faith that he's just described And there's seven qualities, moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. I'm not going to go through and explain what all those are, but I'd encourage you to go look them up because those are the things that you're to pursue in your Christian life. Friday, I stood before our Christian school at graduation and I gave the the message, the charge to the the graduates. And I told them that I could remember sitting where, where they were and I can remember our principal standing and and basically encouraging me to pursue the American dream go to college um, you know get a good job save for retirement you know if you can dream it you can do it put your heart in it put your mind to it and that's what he told me told me to pursue and I would say by God's providence that's what I did even as an unsaved man. And whenever I got the tiger by the tail, I realized very quickly that it wasn't what it all cracked up to be. And I told the students that story. I said, you want to know what you're to pursue? I mean, our motto at the school is a solid foundation academically and spiritually. We tried to prepare you academically. We tried to lay a spiritual foundation for you. And we want you to be whatever God wants you to be. That's give all of your effort whether it's college or otherwise but don't pursue the American dream pursue this list this is what you're to add to your faith Peter's going to show us why he's going to jump to the end in just a minute we're to pursue these qualities and we're to own them they're to mark our Christian lives look at verse 8 he's going to give two alternatives after he lays the foundation of the faith of your faith Then he gives this command. Here's the kind of effort that you're supposed to put forth pursuing it. Here are the things that you're supposed to pursue. How do you grow? You need to add these things to your life. And now he's going to give two alternatives. You can do this or not do this. He's going to tell us the result of doing it. He's going to tell us the result of not doing it. In verse 8. Look at verse 8. For if these qualities are yours, look at verse 9. For whoever lacks these qualities. You see those two alternatives there? For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, is what Peter says. If these qualities are yours and are increasing. Literally it says if these qualities, if you possess these qualities like property, it's like being deeded, these qualities are deeded to you. They're in the deed of your Christian life. If you possess them, if you would evaluate your life and look at it, do you possess these qualities and are you increasing in them? If so... He says then, in verse 8, if these qualities of yours are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you possess these things, he basically says it's proof that you know Him. Fruit, 
that is in your life gives the assurance that you know him gives you the assurance that you have this foundation that's that's there here's the other alternative it's heart-wrenching in verse 9 for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins notice it says former sins he's talking about believers here somebody who's gotten used to being saved he's forgotten uses two words blind mean and a word meaning nearsighted means to become blind to the cleansing of our sins by the blood of Christ it literally says to receive forgetfulness your obedience doesn't keep you but fruit does assure you and he says Peter says a person who does not see these qualities in their life and they're increasing in growth will make them unable to be confident that they've been cleansed robs them of assurance and so Peter says, because you can know these things, look at verse uh, 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. Peter says, in the end, if you possess these things and are increasing in them, then, then there's a result that's promised. He says, there's present assurance. You can make your calling and election sure. Look at what he says next. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election short. Verse 10, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. You will never stumble beyond repair. If you have these qualities and you're adding them to your life, there's present assurance. You will not stumble beyond help. And then third, there's an abundant entrance into heaven. Look at how he ends in verse 11. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom. He jumps all the way to where you stand before Christ. If you pursue these qualities, if you understand this foundation, you pursue these qualities in your life, if you own them and you're increasing in them, your life will be filled with fruit. And that fruit will provide assurance now. You'll know you're a believer. You won't doubt that. It will keep you from stumbling beyond repair. And then when you show up before Christ, before the beam of seat, before his throne, there will be an abundant entrance into the eternal kingdom. You'll not only enjoy assurance here, but reward whenever you, whenever you get there. You won't, you won't end up in heaven having wasted your life. And what will you say? Whenever you get to heaven, say you have an abundant entrance, you pursue these qualities and you own them and you're increasing in them and you die and you stand before the Lord and you take your wheelbarrow of fruit before Christ. Are you going to pat yourself on the back and say, look what I've done for you, Lord. Isn't this a, a wonderful pursuit that I've done? Look at all these qualities that I've added to the faith that you provided. You provided the faith, but I worked really hard and here's my fruit. Is that what we're going to say? We're going to pour it out before his feet and say, Lord, without you, I could have done nothing. Your grace began it. Your spirit empowered me. And even when I was working and laboring, you'll quote Second Peter, I mean, you'll quote uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure, as you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You'll say, as all you, Lord. And he will say, well done. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Should you bow your heads? Let me pray for you as...
Your pastor will come in just a moment, prepare us for communion. Do you trust by faith that God has already supplied everything that you need for your Christian life? You think somehow you you didn't get something that you lacked? Are you running hard after God? As you stand back and you look at your life for the last couple of years, do you see these qualities present? If there was a deed to your life, would these seven qualities be listed there? Are you looking for an abundant entrance into the kingdom? Are you pursuing these things more than the American dream? Bear hunting, whatever it might be? I hope you are. I hope you'll feel here well done when you stand before him. Father, I do thank you and praise you for this grace. Oh, Lord, it is so evident in my own life. There's no good thing that dwells in me. No, all good things are from your gracious, gracious hand. I wasn't even looking for you. Didn't want anything to do with you living for myself. Thank you, Lord, that you sought me and bought me with your precious blood. Now I can serve you, and even that by your grace. May you help everyone here do that same thing. We love you. We thank you for loving us first. In Christ's name, amen.